Okay, so chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 1 is the second question of Habakkuk. And as I said this morning, the principle of prayer is that I pray and I receive an answer. I pray and I receive an answer. This is the proper fellowship with God. And so if you've prayed, you need to have the result of that prayer. And so like it says in John, uh, 1 John 5, 20, uh, verse, uh, 5, verse 15, that you will receive what you have asked for. That if you ask for A, you receive A. Why? Because you prayed by the will of God and He has heard your prayer. And so in Hebrew, uh, the word hear and to receive and to answer is one word. And so if you want to receive answers, if you want to be a man of prayer, you need to receive answers to your prayer. And that is the relationship we have with God. Uh, a relationship with people cannot do that. It doesn't matter how faithful they may be because of the limitations of man. Uh, when someone asks something of you, you can't always answer them. But the Creator God is different. The Creator God is someone who can answer no matter what question we have. And He has that kind of love for me that He was willing to answer all things. And so when we pray, we must receive answers. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that amongst the promises of God that, oh, you can pray for this, but don't pray for that. It says, ask whatever it is you need in my name. And so even you say, sun, stop in the sky, and it stops in the sky. Red sea, you shall be split, and it is split. And so the depth of prayer is the depth of God. And the scale of prayer is the scale of God. And the power of God, our prayer, is the entire being of Almighty God. And so every element of God, every measure of the prayer is filled by God. And so as much as you do not pray, that is how foolish you are. Amen. And so are you starting to hear the word, brothers? Still unable to hear? Still unable to receive the word in faith? 90% of your Christianity is listening to the word of God. Because when that word enters into you, that word will formulate whatever is needed inside of you. So ever since I met with God for 13 years, uh, God did not allow me to do anything. And at that time, there was only two things that God was training me. To eat the word and to pray. And so for 13 years, that's the only thing that the Holy Spirit asked me to But when I looked at the Bible, this doesn't just happen to me. But almost every single man of God has lived this way. That all they have to do is eat the word of God. And it's the same thing to you. That when you eat this word today, that word will enter into you and will manifest itself as power and authority. Amen. And so, let's look at the second question. Verse 12 of chapter 1. 
are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? So he's calling his God. But remember, when Israel calls to God, they are, it's not just simply a title that they're giving God, but it's a confession of their faith. And it's establishing their relationship with God. And so they're believing this God in this way. They're believing in the contents of His name. And so as well as you know Him is as well as you will proclaim His name. And so you may be proclaiming something in the name of Lord, in the name of Jesus. But, but depending on how much I believe in His name, is depend will determine how much authority is manifest. And above all else, devils know this really well. That they know that the Jesus that that person is proclaiming, how powerful is He? It's not just simply a title but it is a confession of their measure of faith. And so when the prophets proclaim the name of God, it is a confession of their faith. And in other words, it contains every element of their faith in these words. Who God is and what God can do and how God is leading me. All of these things are embraced in this declaration. And they know, who, knowing who Jesus is. And so ultimately, every day, what's important is that we meet with God in this way. And we need to be meeting with Jesus every day in this way. And so then we'll be able to make this kind of confession. First he says, um, Oh Lord, my God. And when you look at the Bible, sometimes he says, My God, my Lord. Other times he says, My Lord, my God. Okay, and the Lord is Yahweh. And my God is Elohim. This is really important to understand. Because God's name is represented by these two titles. Yahweh comes from the name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus that I am who I am. And this is the name that was first written in Genesis 2 5 uh, when God created man. But Elohim is the title that's ascribed to him from the beginning of Genesis, and so especially when he's creating the entire universe. Now, of course, they are the same person. But we're meeting with both Elohim and Yahweh. Yahweh represents God who has fellowship with man, who has relationship with man. And so Yahweh to Israel has this has this covenantal love and gives giver of the covenant and the promise. And so this is the relationship that Israel has with Yahweh. So Yahweh means to have fellowship, to have relationship. And 
and this Yahweh, it comes from the verb Hayah. And it's really hard to uh, interpret this word. So my interpretation is the eternally present tense. So God, Yahweh, is not someone you meet in the past. It's not God who you meet in the future. But at the same time, you cannot say that He's only in the present. No, He is eternally present. And 1 John describes this as He is continuously approaching me. And so, uh, and so we need to welcome Him. And that means you are under salvation. And when you reject that salvation, you are under judgment. Even now, he's continuously coming towards you. Even now, he's drawing near to you through the word of God. And he's drawing near you to the love. He's drawing near to you through anointing. And to the children of God, he draws near endlessly. So that's why I call him the eternally present. And so Yahweh is a God about, about relationship. It's about his, our relationship to God. And for this reason, it's in Yahweh. It's Yahweh who creates us in His image. This is nothing. This has a privilege that has been given to only man. No other creation. Only man has been created in His image. And this word image is really important. And this requires preaching out of Second Corinthians. But simply speaking, it's the word in Hebrew, chelem. And Elem means to cut off, to cut off and to give life. So God did not print you like a machine would print parts for a car. And for the most part in the Bible, it doesn't say that God created man. No, it says God begot man. Fellowship with men. So the reason for this is because just as when someone with a bad liver needs a transplant, in the same way, man isn't printed like like a machine, but rather uh, the life of God has been cut and has been grown out of them. So why does He love man so much? Why does he give so much that, to the fact that he gives his only begotten son? Do you think he loves you as much as you may have loved your dog or as much as some people love their dogs? No. No, the love that he gives you is not the love that he gives dogs. And just as you in your blood has begotten your children, God has uh, cut off a piece of him to give life to you. And so in Malachi 3, it says this, that God can do at any time to uh, give you everything. But he, did, he doesn't. Why? Because he doesn't create eternity or he doesn't create your soul, but he begets your soul. And that's why he loves you in this way. 
And so if you have fellowship with this uh, Yahweh, then you'll come to know the true love of God. And remember, God didn't print you as if you were some uh, piece of a machine. And so to be accurately speaking, God did not create man. Now, of course, He did create your flesh, He created your body. But your soul, your image is a piece of His Spirit, it's Chelem, that your life has been imparted. Isn't that amazing? This is truly tremendous. And so this soul, this soul is the unique in all of history. That a person like you, there's only one in the entire universe, there's only one in throughout history. And so, whenever you think that a painting is expensive, what makes that painting expensive? There are many elements, but for the most part, it's because it's rare. That this only one is unique. And so, in the universe, you are unique. And so, what do you say to your brothers? Miss Universe. Mr. Universe. And so bless the person next to you with amazement and wonder. Mr. Universe. And so now do you understand why God loves you so? Because you are a piece of the life of Yahweh. And so it's so obvious that he would continually be approaching you. And then Elohim is God and his power. He's talking about Almighty God. And so just by this name, this name that, oh Lord my God, already we see that much is being ascribed here. So when we confess Jesus Christ, what does that mean? What is that name? And so in their names, there is this amazing confession of faith. And what else does he say? He says, my Holy One. God alone is holy. That God alone is set apart. And so the love that he gives is unique. Only he can give that love because he is holy. His wisdom can only be given by him. And so we call it holy wisdom. And so everything that God gives is attached to holiness. Because it's something that he alone can give. And so look, when you receive the life of God, you cannot say that that love is similar to the love as my wife. Then that is not really the love of God. But to someone who receives the love of God will understand what I'm talking about. That this is a love that I could never experience in my life before. And the amazing thing is that, and yet that glorious name has been given to you. For Be holy, for I am holy. And so as long as we know this, that means that this tremendous thing has happened inside of you. And so if you look at 1 Peter 1, 
It says that the angels examine you in wonder. Because when they look at man, there's no reason for God to impart these things to man. Why did God give to man such great things? He's never given his holy name to any angel. He's never given his glory to any angel. And yet he has given it to you. And so for this reason, God will never treat you the same as the rest of the world. That you are sanctified, you are set apart for Him. That He treats you in a different way. A love that only God can give, a wisdom that only God can give, power that only God can give. God has uh, treats you with His holiness because you are the king, a child of the king. And so when it comes to holiness, even regarding holiness, it's not something that I can share with you all tonight. But if, even if you just receive this holiness properly, will determine how you will live your life for the rest of your life. If you understand what holiness truly is, you wouldn't even attempt to be polluted by the world. You wouldn't even attempt to be uh, imparted, uh, to try to go after the world. If you truly receive this name in faith, you would see how insignificant, how worthless the world truly is. There's nothing good in the world. That God is the best. There's nothing in the world. And so let us continue, brothers. What else does it say? It says, my Lord. Means that He is my Lord, my Master. Right, that He alone is my Master. And so, and so I belong to Him. I am His property. That means it's impossible for anything other thing to reign over me. Why? Because from another perspective, that He alone is my King. And He alone reigns over me. Because He is my Master. He alone will take responsibility for me. And so the one who believes this will never acknowledge the world trying to take ownership of me will not allow anything else to have dominion over me. Creator God, God, King of all kings, that He alone is my master. He alone can take hold of me. And so do you believe that He is your master? And He is... Uh, he is from everlasting and so what does that mean that he is from everlasting he has no beginning and what else is Habakkuk trying to emphasize here that he has never lost sight of me once that he has never rejected me once and so God who transcends all time to uphold me to keep me and so God transcends time in order to keep me. And what that means is that if I am in God's glory, I also can transcend space and time. And this is not, not some theory. Whenever I pray, 
there are times that God leads my prayer in this way. For example, I have a missionary in Swaziland. Then either I go to him in spirit or that space comes to me. And this means I transcend space. And also he transcends time. And so your um, event of salvation, you went to the cross, you went to the Mount of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And so you are receiving that event of the cross. And so my soul in itself, my spirit in itself can transcend space and time. And why else is this important? Because wherever I am, God is with me. And so do not uh, keep God enclosed in the temple. If you say, Lord, Lord, in the temple, but then when you go out into the world, you just live however you want, that's because you do not know who God is. Because God is with you wherever you go. He transcends space and time. Amen? This is the faith you need to have. Oh, your spirits have opened up so much. The word is entering deep into you. Is the ice cream here? Okay, then let's take a short break. And so the prophet is confessing who Yahweh is. And for this reason, no matter how much uh, Babylon may come and judge them, um, that they will not die. That as long as, as long as we know who we are and who God is, we will have faith that we are not going to die at the hands of anyone else. And from the New Testament perspective, because God is the God of resurrection, even if we die, it actually doesn't matter. Because we have transcended death itself. That all the authority of death has been broken down. And so if you believe this, you would not live by the uh, nature of survival instinct. That your goal is no longer finding what to eat and what to drink. Because you are more important, you have something more important, which is resurrection. And so all the authority of death has no longer hold any hold over you. And so as Habakkuk had fellowship with God, his faith grew. And so even though this um, terrible well, judgment is coming to him, he says, we shall not die. That simply they have lost to Babylon in order because God is judging them. And so what, it, what does it mean to be judged? To Gentiles, being judged means your life is over. If God judges you, then your world is over. But to a child of God and to Israel, what does judgment mean? Judgment is a stop in order to keep your holiness, in order to protect your holiness and your dignity. And so there is no eternal judgment to a child of God. And so if you're a child of God, this is the amazing grace that we have. 
now of course if you look at Hebrews chapter 6 it speaks of the cancellation of your salvation your salvation can be cancelled but that cancellation doesn't come from God's side you yourself reject God that oh I don't need God that I no longer have anything to do with God and so we call this cancellation which is a state of you separating yourself from God and if we expand a little bit further uh, there is the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is working in repentance within you and so that's how we can repent right but it's a state that you can no longer hear the call to repentance that it becomes impossible for you to repent and so that means you no longer have fellowship with God and, and this is another case where your salvation may be cancelled and so in the Bible it clearly talks about the cancellation of your salvation but remember that that doesn't come from God's side but it comes from your own side you choose it for yourself and so in these end times there's going to be many apostates because that is the season that we are living upon and so God, he understands that God is simply using Babylon to judge Israel and so remember God's purpose is Israel but Babylon is simply a tool. God never treats you as a tool. You are God's purpose, His goal. And so, same to us, we, God must also be our goal. How amazing is that? That this amazing being treats me as His goal. And so, pastors, you are doing your ministry. If God calls you to simply for your ministry, that means He's using you as a tool. That's the problem. God does not, God does not treat you as a method to a mean, means to an end. That's your calling is not simply just to be a pastor. But your calling is because of the glory of God. And God gives you glory. And God did not call you so that you can give Him glory. God called you so that He can give you glory. And because we receive that glory, we can lift up glory to God. And so if you don't receive glory first, and you say that you're giving glory to God, that means that you are a tool of God and not His purpose. This is really important to understand, brothers. That this is the reason why you get exhausted in your faith life and the reason why you have um, feel, you, you, you can betray your God. And this is all the true system that has been corrupted by the great prostitute. And so for the past 2,000 years, the Vatican has been corrupting the truth. Making it to this point where this, they're saying things that don't come out in the Bible. Amen? So remember, you are not God's, you are not God's uh, means, but you are God's purpose. And because you are His purpose, 
that if you that if you lose sight of that purpose, God was going to take away what's keeping you from losing that purpose. And so let's say if he gave you money and you are corrupted because of that money, then he's going to take that money away from you. Why? Because you are his goal. And so in that glorious day, we need to be able to stand in his glory. But when you're unable to do so, he takes away what keeps you from being able to do so. So let's say that you love a certain person. Then, then because of that person, if you cannot bring about God's purpose, then he will take that purpose away from you. Because God, you are God's purpose. And so we need to love God alone. And when we do, that is when we, our life will be glorified. And that's when your family and the people around you will be made beautiful. As children of God, we do not have direct fellowship with anything else. That in, uh, in the midst of us must be the Holy Spirit. Even in the midst of your uh, spousal relationship, uh, because the Holy Spirit is there, the love of God is more passionate in your in your family, in your relationship. And so, through the Holy Spirit, we need to love our children. Through the Holy Spirit, we need to love our brothers. All things must be done through the Holy Spirit. Just as David and Jonathan uh, were willing to lay their lives down for each other, this is how they confess: that uh, in between you and me is God. And so uh, when they treat each other as life, it's because God is in their midst. It's the same thing with your communities. You, a pastor doesn't have direct relationship with his members. So that's why Paul says in Philippians that you and I have a fellowship of God of the gospel. And in the same perspective, God is saying to the, to the Galatians that, that we are one community. And so everything needs to be in this fellowship of gospel, fellowship of the uh, of life. And so when that happens, that's when we can die for one another. And for this reason, we call the church uh, uh, a life. It is not an organization. And this is really important to understand as pastors. And so there's no one in our church that I have a personal relationship with. It doesn't matter how beneficial he may be. It doesn't matter how excellent he may be. That if he doesn't receive the gospel that is preached through me, then I cannot have fellowship with him. And I say, if you would like to attend the church, you may attend the church. And I just leave him alone. Even no matter how many years pass by, I leave him alone. We must have a relationship of the gospel. And we must have a spiritual relationship. That is the only way we can maintain holiness. And that is the only way we will not be captivated by other spirits. And so pastors and pastors' wives, this is something that you need to take to heart. This are not my words, but it is the words that God has given to His church of how they should have relationships. And so if you have humanistic relationships, the spirits will intervene and will interlope. And so, no matter who it is in the community, you need to be, have spiritual relationships. Even in the relationship between you, you and your husband, you and your wife, that all things must first move in the, in the spirit, not in your flesh. 
because if so, if you cannot, then you will fall to the uh, designs of the devil. So let's continue. And then he also confesses that you are a rock. You a rock. And so rock means that he alone is going to be my advocate, my protector, my guardian. And so in the same way, what does David confess? He says, Yahweh, Jehovah, you are my rock. And so because he alone is my throne, Psalms 5 says that I will not be afraid even if a thousands were to were a company of a thousand were to surround me. David isn't over exaggerating, but in this time what he truly believed is that he has this confidence that God is with him. And so even if a thousand were to surround me, I would not be afraid because that is who our God is. Amen. So what else does he say? That uh, oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. So we learned this earlier in Habakkuk. That uh, God established the wicked in order to uh, judge the wickedness of Israel. And so this is uh, the faith of God. And that God is using wickedness to to help us deal with our own wickedness. And so now we know if when you accept this, you no longer are hurt by God. And so if you do not understand God's methods, then you will be hurt by God. You will you will have scars towards God. And as I was uh, laying my hands upon you, as I uh, I was interpreting some of your tongues, and. There are some people who have great hurts towards God, who are scarred and, and towards God. Because uh, God did not solve their problems or did not take care of them in a way that they wanted. But the thing is, is that it's because they did not allow God to convince them to... to, to so what you need to seek is the co uh, convincing of God. And so, in your fellowship with God, all the pain that you have experienced, you need to be convinced by God for why you had it. And so, if you do not have these kinds of things, you will constantly be afflicted by unbelief towards God. And so, uh, this hurts towards God is a very serious issue that you need to take deeply. Because these kinds of people will never be able to live by faith. And there are some of you who have these great wounds towards God. And so it's important for you to repent deeply and meet with God and be convinced by God. And then so if we go to, so up until this point, as Habakkuk was having fellowship with God, he came to understand many things. And going beyond that, he no longer is hurt by people by circumstances, by his conditions, by his reality. So look at verse 13. That Lord, uh, your eyes are holy, uh, far be it from you to see wickedness. And this is true, right? God cannot compromise with wickedness. When he sees wickedness, all he can do is judge. And then it says that you are slow to... One moment. And if you look at the original text, 
it says, you are pure of eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And so, and so up until this point, it's okay, right? It says that you cannot look at evil, you cannot look at wrong. And yet, here's the problem. That why do you idly look at traitors? So remember, Habakkuk was complaining regarding the wickedness of Israel from uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And so, you know, he calls Israel wicked. But now, he's calling Babylon, what? He's calling them traitors. Now, of course, they are traitors. And continuing. And remains silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And so earlier, he, he called out the wickedness of, of Israel. But now he's saying that compared to Babylon, they are righteous. And so he got lost in his own self-righteousness. What is this about? Uh, he has lost the definition of righteousness. He's looking at it from the perspective of the law. As that this person has eight sins, but I have seven sins, so that means I am more righteous. There are many people who think this way, right? Even amongst you. That this person sinned eight times, and I have seven sins, so I am righteous, more righteous than he. And this is the perspective of the law. If the church does not move according to the principle of grace, then this is the kind of thoughts that everyone will have. That I'm better than at least I'm at least better than him. He is this kind of sinner, but I, I have not made that kind of sin. No, that's not the case. That uh, sin, even one sin is, is all sins, and even 100 sins is still the same, all sins. And so this is the right relationship with righteousness. And so the church, the church isn't divided in between categories or grades of A, B, and C. It's either, it's either one or nothing. And so if you are not in righteousness of God, then you are in sin. Everything is sin. And so this is the image of those who lift in God and through God. And so Habakkuk, from the he's speaking of righteousness from the perspective of legalism. And so you need to understand that this is a really big problem within the church. Because if you allow this to fester, you're only going to allow judgment and envy to continually grow. And the church will not repent. Remember, when it comes to God, it's about absolutes. If you have one sin, already you're a sinner. And the end of result of that one sin is still death. It's not about I have five and you have six. Because if you think this way, then there will be no repentance in the church. In our fellowship with our brothers, we do not determine righteousness for each other. Only righteousness can be determined by our relationship with God. And so as I said earlier, through God we have fellowship with any, everyone else. And so you may not be aware of this, but this is really important to understand. 
And this is the secret f uh, for the church to become holy, is this fellowship of the gospel, this fellowship of the spirit, and this fellowship of righteousness. These are all actually all one and the same. The only difference is the relationship with the gospel, the relationship of the spirit, and the relationship of righteousness. And so, uh, how powerful was the relationship of righteousness in the early church? If you look at the book of James, that they are able to uh, pray for, for uh, they are able to forgive one another of their sins. What does this mean? This brother comes and asks, "Oh, brother, I sinned like this, so brother, please pray for me." And the brother who hears this doesn't judge him. But because he prays for me, it's uh, treated as if that, that sin is his own. And because he treats this sin as his own, he repents as if it's his own. That's the relationship. And so they are not ashamed to reveal what, what is afflicting them and their shame to one another. It means that they are transparent amongst one another. And so in our church, I've been demanding lately that our church members be transparent with one another. Why? Because ultimately they're meeting each other every day. They meet through 24-hour intercession. They meet in cell meetings. They meet through our various programs for, for growth and nurture. And so for the most part, uh, it's as if they all live in the church. And so if they are not transparent with one another, then it would be suffocating. And so they need to keep revealing their wickedness. And through those things, we pray to one another. We pray one to another. And you need to be able to even know how many spoons is in your neighbor's house. And because our community all attends the same, the church's school. Now, of course, if you want to enter into our church, your children need to uh, attend our school. And so in this sense, uh, they can't help but be transparent. Uh, if they are not transparent, they will not survive long here. And, so the, and also for this reason, the church is very powerful. Why? Because everyone prays together as one and everything is prepared for by one. And so rather than seeing this as the image of Yobar Church alone, Rather, it's the image of the early church. And that's how the early church lived. And so this relationship where they are, are transparent with one another. And so from this perspective, it's really important that you guys come to our church and experience what's going on. How God is raising up these kinds of churches in this day and age. And I heard that this church has a school for children. And I hope that every member of this church would send their children to this school. It is not good to train your children in Babylon, in the system of Babylon. It is about raising them in the Word of God. So if you look at our children at our church, uh, they are all raised up until um, high school at our at our church's school. And if they need to go to college, then I will send them to college. I send them overseas. And if they need it, if it's needed, then they can become ministers in our church. And if they need a job in, in one of the businesses of our 
church, then we give them jobs. But above all else, what you need to build is the system that lives by the Word of God. And so, parents, you need to cast away your desires of Babylon. Uh, even in our church, it took a long time in this battle. Uh, this battle of the parents' desire of Babylon. That they want them to study well, but at the same time also be, have good faith. That's not possible. Okay. Uh, being good at your schoolwork is not a requirement to be good at the spiritual things. Because spiritual things uh, can at all time unfold because of the wisdom of God. And so, uh, this uh, ministry is a ministry of love. And so, uh, in that sense, you are being established as prophets. So, let's continue. And so, they have got lost in their own um, um, re um, reputation. So, I proclaim once again that the church is a relationship with the gospel, relationship with the spirit, relationship of righteousness. Amen. So, verse 13. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain... Oh, verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And so because he loses the perspective of God's vision, he, he loses his dignity. And so he thinks that he is like a fish of the sea. And he thinks that he is like a insect, a crawling thing. So already he loses that dignity. And so he's comparing himself with the strong man. And this is this legalistic relationship. It doesn't matter how good the world may appear. It doesn't matter how strong the world may be. If you stand on the righteousness of God, that you will understand that they are nothing. Just as David said in the morning, as he looked upon Goliath, that you are my food tonight. That's what you will be able to say. This is the relationship that, uh, that you have to, to your sex. And so, but because they lost, I don't know why I said that. I, I, I oh wow, Janine, one moment, please. And so they are envious of the things that the wicked have. And so look at verse 15. He brings all of them up with the hook. He's talking about the, the strong ones, right? And so directly he's talking about Babylon. He uh, drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices in his clap. And so those who have, have more and will get more. Now, of course, uh, the righteous or the wicked also live this way. That they look for various brand names at the cheapest price. But uh, the people of Rome, the people of the church should not be envious of these things. And there's no reason to be envious of these things. Rather, they should be take pity upon souls who are dying that way. And then in verse 15, verse 16, what does it say? Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. 
a dragnet is a net that can catch more fish, much more fish at once. And so what does that mean? He is offering to the methods. Remember earlier we said, who are the righteous? That they are people who consider the bus without having to consider transfers. And so I'm not giving offering to money. But uh, rather, what they're doing is they continue sacrificing to the tools that help them survive. Which means Yahweh is not God, but Baal is God. And this is what's going on within the church with the with the audio interface. But we, if our fellowship continues gets deeper with God, then we can serve God without any searching for reward. That we are not serving God because we believe He will reward us. We are not serving God because we believe He will heal us. We are not serving God in order to deal with a problem in my household. No, we can serve God without any ulterior motives. That we love God alone. If you look at Daniel 3, that the three friends of Daniel are taken captive before Nebuchadnezzar. And so in this great plain of Babylon where all 120 satraps can gather, uh, he establishes this golden statue that rises 60 meters. And he says to bow down when you hear the music of all kinds. But the three friends of Daniel stood up and stayed up and did not bow down to the image. So imagine what that would be like. That if someone doesn't bow down, they're, they are going to lose their life. And yet these three young men of Israel do not bow down to the statue. And they get taken to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, they put they put fire to the furnace that's hotter, seven times hotter than it's ever been. And that if you do not bow down to this statue, I will throw you into this furnace. And one of the three says this, that Almighty God can save us from your hands, O King. That is an amazing confession of faith, is it not? But more amazing than that, he says that, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, that I will not bow down before the idol. And so in your life, even if you are poor until the day of your death, even if your problems never get solved, even if you are never rich, let us serve the Lord our God. That we need to be able to serve God without seeking of reward. Why? Because we are not serving God for what He can give. We are serving God because He has dealt with eternity for us and has given us glory, has given us righteousness. And this is more than enough for me to worship you. As Polycarp was getting captured by Rome and it looked as if he was going to martyr them, 
remember, Polycarp at the time is someone who was very close to influential people in Rome. And so one of his friends made this suggestion that just tell them that you do not believe in Jesus while you're here and, be, and survive, live another day. But Polycarp says this, for 80 years God has faithfully loved me. That if I am going to betray him for just to survive then there's no reason for me to live and so he enters into the fire himself so those who love God without any seeking reward this is true faith amen and so in these end times God is looking for these kinds of holy beings and they are he is raising up these kinds of beings and so those who have uh, a goal and, and think of God as a means, that they serve God because they think that because God gives them money, this is wickedness. And so they uh, rely on these things and they, uh, and they think that, hey, what should we eat today? What should we wear today? And so they serve God for prosperity. They serve God for riches. That is wickedness. Verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Of course this is wrong. And so let us not uh, be envious of the success of the wicked. Do not uh, get angry or upset that the wicked have riches. Do not be jealous of the rich, uh, of the wicked becoming rich. And we'll see in today's message that actually what they possess is going to be the source of their destruction, the source of their doom. And so, what I possess will never will not determine whether I'm happy or not. And so we need to be able to separate the weak, the little guy from the strong, from the powerful. So though we are small, when we serve God, we are great. And what is someone who cannot, uh, what is a layman? Like Daniel, even if you are in the midst of, of Babylon, Daniel could not live without God. And so he... Uh, oh. You are not humble. You are not a little guy because you do not have money. Uh, it's people who cannot survive unless God... Part, uh, intervenes and so you need to be little man because God hears the prayer of the little man and so though David was a king he could not survive without God and so David is a little guy and so no matter how poor you may be if you live by your strength then that person is a strong guy not a weak guy 
a weak guy, a strong guy cannot pray to God. He lives according to his own methods. We need to be the small guy, amen, the little guy. So move on to verse chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watchtower and station myself on the tower. And this is the prophet. The prophet is a watchman for Israel. And so he's going to stand as a watchman and wait to see what he will say to me. And so already we see that his faith has grown. Chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse two. He says, "How long? How long?" He was in a hurry, but now he became a man who knows how to wait for God. He says, "I will wait to see how God will answer my question." And if you look at uh, Psalms one one thirty, uh, the author of the pro- of the Psalms suffers much. It's David, and he's in a deep pit. But the precious thing here is that in that circumstances, he's able to have faith and pray. And he has this confidence that God hears his prayer. And in the midst of that suffering, and in the midst of his prayer, what does he realize? He realizes that I suffered because of my sins. And another thing that he realizes is that and yet still God has forgiven me and so what does he realize then is that my life has is as a life that waits for God and that's why I suffered to learn how to wait for God and so as a watchman waits for the first sign of dawn I wait for the Lord And so there are many reasons why God gives you suffering in your life. But if, uh, the great, the, in the biggest picture is to make you into a person that knows how to wait for God. And so the issue with life is that you go before God. You go ahead of God. And this is a legalistic man. That you move according to your thoughts, according to your body's move, uh, impulses first, instead of waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. But what, that's how we should live: is waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. Then I move. When God moves, I'm evidence of someone who lives by the Holy Spirit is someone who knows how to stop. That uh, if the Holy Spirit moves and we break through, but if God, if the Holy Spirit stops, I also stop. And so we need to grow to a state where that knows how to wait for God. As we saw in chapter 1, what is the wicked? The wicked are, are in a hurry, are in rush. And the righteous will never be rushed. They do not move quickly, quickly. And so as he has fellowship with God, they're growing to understand God. And then so now let's look at chapter verse 2 to 5. This is God's second answer. And so he prays once and listens once. 
And so now uh, he's getting the answer to his second question. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. And so in 3,800 times, the Bible says that uh, he said, he said. But this is the only place where it says to write the vision. And so the fact that he's saying to write has great meaning here, has great significance. And so how large does he have to write it? That even when he's running it, can, he can read it. So what does it mean to record? It means that this vision, this oracle will transcend space and time. And because this Bible uh, is, it transcends space and time, it goes 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years. And until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, Uh, the oldest script, the oldest text that we've had was from the 8th century AD. But through the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found manuscripts that are older than that, that are uh, 2nd century BC. And the amazing thing is, is that the records of the 2nd BC, the Bible that's from the 2nd BC, 2nd century BC, is no different from 2nd century AD. That's how amazing the Word of God is. The Word of God transcends space and time. And so this is how important it is that the truth was recorded. And so for this reason, you should not even take out a period or add in a period. And this is one reason why I expositely preach each verse by verse. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the Lord told us to not remove from the Word or add to the Word. And then, so what else does it mean that this oracle is recorded down? Bibles don't get written uh, willy-nilly. There is a structure. And so we see here the structure. God is moving by the structure of grace right now. And another great structure that he works by is the principle of you reap what you sow. Right? Look at how deep the revelation of Habakkuk is. And so, this world moves according to two, one of these two principles. Either grace or reaping what you sow. And so, what life do you want to live, brothers? Which life? Do you want to eat, reap what you sow? No, right? You, we want to live by the principle of grace. And this is actually the only uh, principle that God has demanded from man. But because of our corruption, we try to live by our own uh, strength. That's why it created this standard of, of eating and drinking which what you need but we need to live by grace amen and so the uh, principle of grace is written in chapter 2 verse 4 behold his soul is puffed up it is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith 
The righteous shall live by his faith. So I don't know how far I will go here, but there is much to say here. But anyways, this is the principle of grace. And so we need to receive uh, righteousness in grace, and we need to live out that righteousness. And so when the Bible speaks of righteousness, what is it speaking of? Remember, ever since man was created, God created man to meet with God. And so if you do not meet with God, you were originally created to be unable to survive. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 3, God created man from the dust, and then he blowed, he blew his breath of life into them. And this breath of life, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and so the Hebrew word and the New Testament words is meeting together. And it's called the living psuche. This living soul. And so why, after God gave his breath of life, did he create the characteristic of the soul to be the living psyche? Okay, because of the ice cream, you should not be tired, right? And so, these words are letting down proper roots for your faith. Do you know why you suffer at the hands of witches? Is it because you lack power? No, it's because you lack the truth. Because the word of God is not firm within you. Do you know why you keep getting influencing by the world? Because you lack the truth system inside of you. This is really important, brothers. These elements are going to formulate uh, the proper true system within you. And so one, I went to go minister to India once. And I met with the sister who was doing a great work herself. Uh, she was ministering to 3,000 uh, prostitutes. And so how great is her ministry? And yet... And yet, uh, she was cursed by a witch. And so her eyes started to wane. Even though she was doing such powerful ministry. And, but I casted that demon out. And uh, God let her eyes see. And yet, why did this happen? Because she didn't minister? No. It's because she lacked the true system. And so she gets afraid of witches. Even the witches are nothing in compared to God. And I was ministering in Paraguay. And there was a pastor like this. He was holding hands with the witch. And, and cursed his church members. So that the 
so that uh, the church members couldn't leave, he's commanded the witch to curse the church members that if they leave the church, they would get cursed by the witch. So they were afraid of this witch, and so they, they didn't leave that church. <laughs> is this a pastor or is this a witch? There's no one like this amongst you, is there? So let's continue. Maybe I'll just finish this first, but anyways, let's continue. And so man has been created to be a living psyche. What does this mean? That man, unless they have God, cannot live uh, except by their own thoughts. And so God is saying to Adam that you need to live, walk with me. And so man has been created to live with God, relying upon God. And so as man walks with God, they need to live spiritually. They are meeting with God. And this is the uh, flow that God has given to all men. All men must meet with God. That if by any chance, Adam didn't fall, then all men would be meeting with God. But Adam fell, and that's why we failed to meet with God. But Jesus came to this earth, and he saved us. He revived us. And the way he revived us was he died on the cross, paying for everything, and gave us his righteousness. What is this righteousness? It is acknowledging that we have not sinned once. And for this reason, uh, this righteousness gives, allows us to fulfill the conditions to meet with God. And so if you live by the new self, you're continually meeting with God. You're continually, every moment by moment, meeting with God. And, and whenever He speaks, you live and you follow according to His speaking. And so, the fact that you have received Jesus, His righteousness, means that you are receiving everything that He purchased by His sacrifice. Then how are we to live our life? We're to live our life receiving all of that in faith. And so all men, uh, in, in, in their nature, strives to uh, receive righteousness. That's why they earn money. That's why they have other religions. Because through their actions, they're trying to satisfy their own desire for righteousness. And what does Galatians describe this? Describes it as the works of the law. Man tries to... Uh, declare their righteousness through the works of the law. But that is not possible. We cannot uh, bring about righteousness through our actions. This is actually really important. This is the reason why you get so exhausted. If you look at numbers, the Israelites complain, and so they get bitten by serpents sent by God, with, and, and they would die by that poison. But there was one way that God provided for them to live, and how is that? What are they to do? 
Moses created a bronze serpent, a statue of a bronze serpent. And all you had to do was lift up your head and look to that statue. So why do you die? Because you were bitten by serpents? No, 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 no. That's how most people think. That, oh, it's because I don't have money that I died. Oh, it's because I lacked a friend I died. Oh, it's because of coronavirus that I died. No. It's because you did not look. You need to look in faith. And so, if, because you didn't look in faith, what do you think these Israelites are going to think of us? That, ah, that, uh, let's go to the Jordan River to take a bath. Let's take a bath in the Red Sea. And so, honestly, that's what the old, that's what the law does, is you live this way. You live based on your actions, and you, you try to satisfy your need for righteousness through your actions. And the Lord says that you are no longer indebted to the flesh. And yet, you constantly try to pay off the debt of your flesh through your works. And so all men live by the works of their act, or by their works. And this will require preaching out of Romans in Galatians chapter 3. Because the works tries to take righteousness through their works. And so from this perspective, there are two types of men. Are you going to receive all the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has won for you on his sacrifice on the cross? If so, then you become righteous. But if you reject that, you live by the uh, actions of your works. And you try to be satisfied. You try to satisfy your need for righteousness through what you do. So if you look at the book of John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman says this, that, oh, I want to meet a rich man. And so she thought she would be satisfied with a rich man, but all he knows is money, and so he's no fun to live with. So let's live, let's be, live with a healthy man. And so she got married to a healthy man, but all he does is beat her. So the third man is, let's meet uh, with an intelligent man. Then all he does is uh, think and think and think, but he doesn't love his wife. And so she, she got married fourth time. Well, let's look for a man of power. Well, all he does is look for power. He doesn't care about, about his wife. And so though they are seeking righteousness, a uh, man cannot satisfy the righteous deeds through wit baseball. This is actually why you get so empty. And the reason why you are unsatisfied is because you are living by the actions of your works. But those who thirst and hunger for righteousness will be full. And so, uh, in faith, receiving the righteousness that God gives us, it is all by grace and grace alone. And so we receive it as a gift from God. Is this not inspirational to you? Are you all falling asleep? I will give you the good news. Good news, brothers. Let's end at verse 5.
And so take heart. And if you are dozing off, get up and open your eyes. So let's go just a little bit further. And so we need to live by the principle of grace. So listen carefully, brothers. If you, as you live with God, and there are some of you who feel the same way as I do, but amongst you, there's also some of you who don't understand a word I'm saying. It's because you've been living by the flesh for so long, and you've been living by the law. But if you live by God, you realize that you are not to live by your works. That I am not, uh, that I do not base my life on my works. I'm preaching right now, and in one, in one aspect, preaching is works, right? And yet, I'm not preaching out of works. I am preaching out of the, out of the grace of God filling me up. So this is not works. Through this ministry of preaching, I am not being exhausted. I'm not being drained. Now, of course, I may get physically tired, but my soul is being renewed continually. And because I'm doing it through the strength that God provides, my life is not bound by my preaching. And it's the same thing with prayer. Some people pray legalistically. They pray through their thoughts, through their strength. And to this kind of person, it's very difficult for them to pray. That as time goes by, it gets harder and harder. But for 32 years, I prayed every day in one way. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that prays in me. It's grace. Grace. And so even though it's the same works, to one person it's grace, and to another person it's works. And for someone who lives by grace, that as time goes on and on, they are enriched. That as time goes on and on, they are renewed by the things of God. And so grace and works may look the same, but they are different. And as you live by grace longer and longer, what you'll realize is that, ah, it wasn't me who does it. It was all done by God, that God has given me everything, that it's all been provided by God. Amen? And so even now, You may not be able to tell the difference between works and grace. But if, like me, you live in the grace of God for 32 years, you'll, it become impossible for you to live by your actions, by your works. That I cannot do anything through my own strength. I don't even. Tr I cannot even make the attempt. There's, I, it's impossible for me to work out of my potential. And this is the result of living with God for 32 years and denying myself. 
and there are some amongst you who are like me, impossible to live by your strength, impossible to try to do things out of your own potential. But there's also people who cannot even tell the difference. What is grace? What is the works of Allah? They are unable to tell the clear difference. And so I'm sorry to say, but this is someone who needs to keep receiving grace for a time. And keep uh, denying themselves. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And when it means, what does it mean to live by faith? Faith is a gift. Like Ephesians 2.8.9 says, that faith is a gift from God. That it is not of works. It is not of yourself. And so we, even faith we receive as a gift from God. And so that's why we can say that it is the principle of grace that says that the righteous shall live by faith. And so for those of you who cannot tell the difference between grace and works, uh, there's no other way. You just need to keep denying yourself and keep receiving grace from God. And you have to spend this time for a while. There is no exception that you have to spend this time. So if you look at it from this perspective, uh, Christian life is about arithmetic. Who is the one who spends more time with God? Who is the one who spends more time with the uh, pastor in that in that fellowship? And so, are you, and so, where does your fate lie? It lies in the individual drivers, in the gospel, in the balloon themselves. And so, living in your life uh, by your works throughout the week, but only on Sunday seeking grace. That's why you fail in your worship. That's why you cannot pray. That's why you fail in your faith. And so, I say to my church members, even if you go to work, you need to be with God. That through you. God did not send you to your job to earn money, but He sent you there to bring about the kingdom of God. And so you need to keep focusing on God. And because they are focused on God, that when uh, their job day is over, that they can come to church and pray, and they're able to pray without being exhausted, and they're able to uh, intercede for two hours, and they're able to have this relationship that cannot separate themselves from God. And so the more you spend this kind of time, now it comes a time where you cannot live by your actions. You cannot live by your possessions. You cannot live by your technique, by programs that have been established before you. No, you live by the anointing that follows. You are all pastors, yes? And so if you pray by your technique, or you pray by, or you preach out of your uh, sermon notes, then no, 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 this is wrong. Okay, you got to wait for his movement and be able to move according to what he has provided for you. And so the, so the works of grace and the works of works and the actions of works needs to have this clear difference. If you feel your strength that means that there's something wrong and there's something uncomfortable, that, that your strength uh, needs to come up and so there's no joy. Even if you don't try to discern, but if grace enters, there's no difficulty. 
uh, everything just enters into you. And God, you see God move everything of his own accord. And so, it's about arithmetic, it's simple mathematics. The more, you need to spend more time with God. There is no exception. And so, you just need to keep uh, wary of the fleshly life. Because if you live by the flesh, you are living by the law. And, and so, uh, you live by the evidence of your works. And so, how do they understand salvation? Salvation is grace. But they think that they can be saved by their works. And so, these kinds of people it'd be more easier for them to say that folding a thousand paper airplanes would give them salvation. That, oh, I'd rather walk 120 miles to get salvation. But it's hard for them to understand what it means to be saved by grace. Right? There's some of you who feel this way, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so actions is based from uh, this fallen Babylon. It is not the methods of the kingdom of heaven. It is the method of the world. That when God created man, he created man according to the principle of grace. And so we need to be soft and malleable. People of grace needs to be malleable. That we need to not have my own strength. And this is true freedom. And so Galatians speaks of grace. And then in chapter 5, he finally proclaims freedom. What is freedom? It is a state that is under the dominion of the Holy Spirit completely. Just as a fish is only free in water, someone who is completely immersed in the Holy Spirit, who is immersed in the Word of God, that is the one who is free. It is not doing whatever I want, that's not freedom. It's moving according to His will, that is freedom. Amen? Let us be free. And so, John 8 says that the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. Let's just finish with one verse, one more verse. But what is wickedness? What is the evil one? They are uh, arrogant. What is arrogant? Is they are arrogant because they live by their strength. That they, they are declaring that they do not need God. What is humility? That without God, I cannot do anything. And so we need to be humble every day. And then they are not truthful. This is talking about their relationship to God. The one who lives by grace, their relationship with God is upright. They have an upright relationship with God. And so they are showing everything about themselves to God. That without God, I cannot do anything. And so look at my wickedness. Look at all of these bindings within me. And yet, if you live by your strength, what will you do? You will try to cover up all of yourself. You'll cover up your hurts and wounds. You'll cover up your bindings. And so you will not give your body to God. It's not because you are doing this consciously. 
but rather if you live by the law you cannot feel this relationship with God and because you cannot feel the relationship with God you cannot open yourself to God but if you live by grace you open everything you open everything to God and so brothers who is the wicked man it's the one who is made of lies every moment for moment why because they live by their flesh that if it's not beneficial to them they're going to transform that a loss to benefit even if it requires lying uh, there was this one associate pastor of ours who would pray in the mountains and he accidentally set the mountain on fire and the children saw him set the mountain on fire and then so he came down the mountain and the kids said to the pastor pastor you set this fire didn't you and at that moment he said no it wasn't me it wasn't me it wasn't me why because he lived by the old self by his actions he could not be honest and say that it was him who set to the fire now, of course he repented but this is the image of those who live for their own gain and so if you do not live by God if you do not live by grace then every moment by moment you start looking for your own benefit and so you live because of lies you cannot be wise and so this is really terrifying is it not in your being see if you know your being you'll be able to see these things with your eyes and so uh, because if you say 9 it seems like a loss you say 10 and if you live by uh, the law uh, they're going to live for your benefit and so you're going to become a liar all men and so that's why lying is a very dangerous sin and so if you get if you get too used to too acclimated living this way you become a liar and these kinds of persons no matter what kind of prayer they may pray no matter how they pray God cannot answer their prayer why because the lie they're speaking lies constantly now of course the essence of that liar is the demon but you yourself is lying and so it becomes impossible to cast out anything because it's not a demon if you cast it out that means you have to kill that person and so that's how dangerous it is to be characterized by lies and so there's some of you who may not be aware that you are lying there's no other way all you have to do is keep living by grace for a time and we need to be able to see your progress throughout the year and so who are the wicked his greed is as wide as show and this is something that we'll talk about later as we talk about the five evil desires and this is the desire for pleasure remember we get drunk off of Jesus as we talked about earlier about lies and arrogance 
and um, he gathers for himself. He's all moving for his actions. He's always moving by his own thoughts. But so those who do not live by grace, they are complicated. And so there are some of you in your life who have lots of worries, lots of anxiety. And because you have lots of your own thoughts, you are filled with despair. The reason is because your thoughts, ultimately what your thoughts is, is because you're failing. And so that's why you think so much. So Philip said to God, said to the Lord, Uh, Jesus said to them, you feed them. And so he calculated, calculated and said, even if I had we 200 denarian, we could not buy enough bread. And so ultimately, what does that mean? That means that he's saying it's impossible. He's saying it's impossible. And so if you live by your thoughts, what a man will ultimately end up falling to despair. And so there, his own thoughts keeps moving. And so it's not the Spirit of God that's moving, but His own thoughts that are moving. And so the wicked are always uh, quick to anger, and, and they are quick and, and bitter and hasty. And so we're seeing this clear difference, this clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And so His greed is as wide as show. And so remember, greed doesn't stay still, but it continually grows. Just as the universe continually grows, your greed is also continually growing. And so because you can confirm this greed, uh, it becomes death. Uh, and so he gather, uh, and uh, he gathers for himself all nations. And so, what does this mean? He's making his own nation. He's making his own kingdom because he's gathering people who are going to be under his influence. And it's the same thing to the church. If you live by your own strength, pastors, then what's going to happen to that church? That church is going to be the church of that pastor, not the church of God. He's creating his own kingdom. That's scary, isn't it? And so every day we need to put ourselves to death. Every day crucify the old self on the cross. And so let us pray.